Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. You're listening to the Guest Mentors five-part summer series. This is an opportunity for you to learn from women who are, first and foremost, professional speakers, but they're also authors, speaker coaches, and seasoned business owners. You'll learn about their mindset shifts, challenges, systems, advice for new speakers, pricing tips, and so much more. This series is full of inspiring personal stories, entertaining experiences on stage, and expert advice. Plus, all of these women are super cool. I want to hang out with everyone and make cookies and ride bikes. So you have that to look forward to. The Guest Mentors five-part summer series is sponsored by Speaking School for Women, my signature online course that teaches you how to become a paid professional speaker in six weeks or less. Learn branding, marketing, speech craft, pricing, pitching, and so much more. Now until August 31st, get 20% off using promo code SUMMER20 at checkout. Learn more at speakersisterhood.thinkific.com. Link is in the show notes. This series is also sponsored by Told Video, original, thoughtful storytelling for your brand. Here to help you with your next step in speaker marketing, a meaningful video. Let your story out into the world and get it told. Follow Told Video on Instagram at Told Video for flash sales and discounts announced monthly. On today's episode, you'll hear from guest mentor, Lisa Braithwaite. Lisa Braithwaite is a speaking coach, trainer, and author of Presenting for Humans, Insights for Speakers on Ditching Perfection and Creating Connection. She mentors entrepreneurs and professionals to create memorable and engaging presentations so they can build their businesses through speaking. With a BA in theater and an MA in education, she spent 16 years developing programs and training in the nonprofit sector as an advocate and educator, as well as founding her own organization. She's been interviewed for the Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune, Men's Health, Toastmasters Magazine, and Inc.com. Without further ado, my interview with Lisa Braithwaite. All right, Lisa Braithwaite, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for being here today. I'm really excited to talk with you about your own experiences as a speaker and what you teach to the, the clients and speakers you work with. And before we jump into that, I would like to hear how you got into this crazy business. Cause I know most people don't graduate high school saying, I'm going to go be a professional speaker. It's kind of a different path. So <laughs> how did this happen for you? For me, I had been speaking, teaching, training, facilitating groups for a really long time. Uh, I was in the nonprofit sector for 16 years, and this was actually my job to go out into the community and speak on these particular causes. But how I really, I would say, besides the fact that I was on the speech team in high school and I always liked speaking and performing, I was a theater major and all that kind of stuff. But how this really got started was I went to work for a domestic violence organization thinking that I was going to work in the shelter with the kids running the children's program. And the first week I got there, they handed me a piece of paper with an outline on it and said, oh, by the way, 
you go into high schools and talk about domestic violence and dating violence to teenagers. And um, I was immediately freaked out because I know teenagers, I know how scary they can be. And (laughs) I was like, oh my God, what? But, you know, very quickly I learned how to engage teenagers and how to, even with a topic like domestic violence, I learned very quickly how to work with them and how to engage with them. And so the next 15 years or so, this is the kind of work I did for a lot of different nonprofit organizations. And then I got laid off three times in four years from three different nonprofits. And at that point, I decided that I would like to stop working for somebody else who might just be able to fire me or lay me off at a moment's notice. And when I started thinking about what what could I do, what could my own business be, it just so happened that somebody had seen me speak and and asked me, can you help me do that? Because I really liked how, really liked your demeanor on stage and you seem very relaxed and you seem very calm and you seem very natural and like you're really enjoying yourself and you're comfortable in your own skin. And it's just a light bulb went off over my head and I thought, wow, yeah, I can help you. And I can help a lot of people because I've been doing this for a long time in the real world with challenging and difficult audiences and have been very successful at it. And that was how it came about. So that was in, well, what, 14 years ago or something like that now? Yeah. I find that teenagers are the hardest audience to talk to and college students. Do you Mm -hmm. think that that training set you up for success because getting in front of adults after that felt probably pretty easy? Absolutely. (laughs) And I, I actually worked with youth for a really long time besides that job, the, the next several nonprofit places I worked, organizations I worked, I ended up working with a lot of youth. And so I was working with everything from, from fifth graders to high school seniors. I was going to the, the juvenile incarceration facility on fr- every Friday and sitting with a group of girls discussing relationships. And, and I was going into continuation schools and, and all of these kinds of environments where not only are teenagers already nerve-wracking, but I was going into places where they were even less likely to be kind of interested in, you know, listening to a speaker. And yes, I, I actually had this idea for a book title, which I've now revised, but the book title was going to be called Everything I Learned About, Everything I Know About Public Speaking I Learned from Teenagers. Yes. But it is absolutely true. And I have workshops and presentations that I give about working with difficult audiences that come directly from my experience working with teenagers and all of the things that I had to learn, respect, listening, humor, trust, engagement, all of these things that I had to learn working with youth and coming into a classroom where number one, they didn't want me to be there. Number two, the teacher would be like, oh great, it's like having a substitute. Teacher would sit in the back of the room and grade papers. The kids would talk amongst themselves. Uh, this was before cell phones, thank God. But you know, they would talk and they, whatever. And I had to, I really had to bring 110% to get these young people 
engaged with me and I was good at it. I was really good at it. Even when, even when I quit working for the domestic violence organization, because at that time I'd, I had been going to pretty much every high school in our like 13 or 14 high schools regularly every semester, every quarter. I had teachers calling me at my new job asking me to come to their classroom because they, they, want, they didn't like the person who replaced me. <laughs> so yes, I think if you can speak to an audience of teenagers, you can speak to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I really believe that. I really believe that. And I really did learn everything that I do now and everything that I know and teach now comes from that many years of experience working with young people. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the part in the story where you left nonprofit work, decided you were going to start your own business. How did you get started? Were there mindset shifts you had to put in place in order to start seeing yourself as a business owner and someone who could go out and you know get paid to speak? And how did all that work? Absolutely. First of all, just the mindset shift of being a business owner. So another thing that I did in that previous world that overlapped with my coaching and speaking business was that I started my own nonprofit. So I ran my own nonprofit for eight years while I was starting this business as well. And so coming out of the nonprofit world is a little bit different than going into, you know, the for-profit world. So I had a lot of shifts I had to make to call myself a business person. I was fortunate to go through a program at the time it was just called self-employment training. Now it's called smart entrepreneur training or something like that through an organization in Santa Barbara called women's economic ventures. And they train women to become entrepreneurs. And so they're actually in all of Santa Barbara. They're in Santa Barbara, Ventura counties here in Southern California. And I went through their 14-week training. And this really set me up for success in terms of the mindset piece. But one of the things that was really hard for me starting out was that I just wanted to be a coach. I just wanted to be a speaking coach. Because in those days, the only thing that I knew, the only picture that came to mind of a professional speaker was a motivational speaker. Somebody who'd get on stage and be like, I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. Are you happy to be here? And I was, I was so against doing anything like that. For, and I'm a really sarcastic person, first of all. And I'm, I don't, I'm actually, I'm a real positive, optimistic person. What I, I realize now that I actually would be a great motivational speaker <laughs> but that's not my thing. You know, I didn't climb out Everest. I didn't, you know, I'm an educator. I have a master's degree in education and I have, I'm sort of an academic background. So I'm much more of a trainer of the person you're going to see in the breakout session at your conference, not the keynoter on the, the big stage. So I was like, I'm, you know, what kind of speaking could I do? So I'm going to be a coach. And then I had, I had a guy contact me on LinkedIn, somebody I'd gone to college with who said, you know, you should really look into corporate training because we pay people to come into our company and, and do training for like $8,000 a day. And you know, back in the beginning, I was like charging $100 an hour for coaching <laughs> 14 years ago. And I was like, Ooh, $8,000 a day. That sounds pretty good. But at the same time, when I heard the words corporate training, I thought, am I going to have to put on a suit? The, you know, again, it's so not me. I can't, that sounds so 
boring. So my mindset over the time, over time, my mindset shifted because I realized, first of all, I had been doing training for many years. I just didn't know really that it was called training. And then people started calling me because I started getting a visibility on Google and in social media. And people started calling and saying, do you do public speaking training? Because we would love to have you come into our company. And I think the people who were finding me were not button down suit people because I didn't look like that on my website. My website really presents myself and at the time presented myself the way I am as a person. And I thought, well, if these people are finding me and they look at my website and they see me wearing a tank top and pink pants, then, and they want to hire me. Okay. And, and that, that changed everything that really shifted everything for me. So do you do corporate trainings now? Oh yeah. (laughs) It's one of my biggest. So basically I would say my business is divided into kind of four quadrants. So I do individual coaching. I do corporate training. I do virtual training online and I have been running retreats, although I ran, I ran retreats for a couple years. I'm kind of on hold with that right now. I'm not sure I still want to do it. And then also have my book, which is kind of part of all those things. And the coaching and the corporate training are about 50, really like about 50, 50 of my income. So I really enjoy doing both equally. And I'm a really fun trainer because I, you know, I practice what I preach so about much, engagement and all that. <laughs> yeah. How much did you have to shift your brand or shift your style in order to fit into the corporate world? And maybe you didn't have to at all. And that was just a misconception you had, but what did you learn? About I didn't have to, I didn't have to at all. People started hiring me. I started showing up being me and that worked. So, so I, that was an asset for them. That yes. Or it didn't look like them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize it at the time. And of course, over the years, I've gotten even more crazy looking at like, I, you know, at the time I had a kind of more conventional haircut, but now I have kind of a weird haircut where my hand, my hair kind of stands straight up and I, I wear like giant earrings. And I, I mean, anybody who goes to my website will see pictures of me with my giant earrings and my hair that stands straight up. And So I just, this was the way I approached it. I just thought, you know what? This is what I teach. Be real, connect. My book is, my the subtitle of my book is Ditch Perfection and Create Connection. So I really came into it with the idea that I'm just going to go be me. I'm going to be real. I mean, I don't show up in really crazy outfits or anything, but I don't own a suit. And I'm never going to own a suit. And I just thought if they're hiring me based on what they see on my website and based on the conversation we have, and then I go in and they like me, then that's great. And so that's what happens now is people see who I really am. They talk to me, they watch my videos and they see the real me and they want that. And so, yes, it, very early on, I realized this was the way to go. I'm not trying to fit into some kind of rigid corporate culture. And the, the truth is, if somebody is looking for somebody who looks like them and, and who has that kind of persona and demeanor, then they won't hire me because I'm not a good fit in, I don't know, in the sense of what I look like. Not that that should mean anything. But it does. It does mean things to some people. And so I'm happy I get hired by the I get hired by people who are a good fit for me. 
Mm-hmm. You mentioned your book, Presenting for Humans, Insights for Speakers on Ditching Perfection and Creating Connection. Can you talk about some of the key points in that book? Yeah, the key points in the book have to do, well, so for me, ditching perfection and creating connection is really what it's all about. And the book was based on my blog, which I started writing in 2011 or something like that. And after, well, after many, many years of feeling like I really should write a book, but not one, not knowing what I should write about, I thought, oh, I should probably take all of this content from my blog, about 1,500 posts, and turn it into a book because I had already basically written the book. So the main concepts from the book start with preparation because I'm a big nerd about preparation. But then it just, it's, it's about things like confidence, making your presentations fun, creating connection with your audience, focusing on serving your audience rather than, than how smart or funny or great or intelligent or impressive you are. How are you serving your audience? How do you deliver an experience? How do you stand out in a world of many, many other speakers. And and then how do you get into the right mindset for that? So really, those are all the things that fit under the, the umbrella of ditching perfection and creating connection. If you do all those things, you're going to engage and connect with your audience, which is more important than being impressive and being the smartest person in the room. So that's sort of the, the nutshell version. Yeah, I've never gotten feedback from an audience member that says, wow, you were the smartest person in the room. <laughs> you were so perfect. It's <laughs> right. Oh, it's so so many of my clients, yeah, so many of my clients come to me and they say, I'm so uptight. How do I loosen up? How do I stop worrying about what people think of me? And because I feel like I'm a real role model for not caring what people think about you. <laughs> I'm a real, that's, I am all about that. And that's not to say I'm not one of those people who's going to get up on stage and get in your face and be aggressive or it's not, I don't mean that, but I mean, I just, I'm about being real, connecting and giving the audience a great experience. And so many of my clients come to me and they're not afraid of speaking. That's not why people come to me. They come to me because they want to connect and they know they're not. They know they're not making the impact that they want to make on their audiences because they feel like they're so sort of stuck inside their shell or inside that mindset of, I have to be perfect. And I have to, yeah, I have to be smarter than everybody. I have to be super impressive. And I just know that's not what your audience cares about. Yeah. Nobody is ever going to come up to you and say, wow, I mean, you're just so brilliant, but yet I didn't connect with you at all. <laughs> I couldn't, re- couldn't relate to you at all, but you're really impressive as a human being. People just don't care about that. <laughs> Can you give an example from a talk that you give or something you teach your clients of how to connect with your audience? Well, I think something that comes to mind is because one of the things I talk about is being real and I mess up just like everybody. We all mess up and we all make mistakes. So here's an example. from This is, may have been about two years ago. This is what happens, by the way, when you've been speaking for a long time and you get complacent. And we all do it. And I've, I get complacent sometimes. So I, was, I had been working on a presentation for this group. And at the last minute, 
I, I realized that that's not what I want to do. I want to do, I wanted to do something different. They, I had gotten a little bit of leeway about what I could present to this particular group. So they weren't, they didn't have this rigid expectation of what I was going to do. So maybe a day or so before I completely changed my idea of what I wanted to teach. So I, you know, I throw everything together. I get in my car. This is 45 minutes away from where I live. So it's not like I can just run back down the street and get the stuff I need. So I get to the, the room and first of all, I'm setting up and I've forgotten cables and, you know, just total lazy, lazy ass stuff here where I should have, you know, really, I just didn't have everything that I needed. I needed. Then I get the slides up. We fix that. We fix all that. I get the slides up and I just do image-based slides. I don't do a lot of words, but you know, I put my slides up and then I always have notes kind of off to the side and the notes kind of remind me of things that I might want to talk about again, because I'm not a keynoter. I, it does, nobody cares if I have notes or not. So I start, I start the training and I'm looking at the slides and I'm looking at the notes and I'm like, oh, this is all wrong. This is all wrong. I brought the wrong notes. I brought the notes that went with the original presentation that I had planned, but the slides were the new presentation. Oh. So I was totally honest about it. And for me, everything, everything that goes wrong in a training for me is a, a teaching opportunity, right? It's a learning moment. And so I, I just told them, I said, oh my gosh, I just realized I brought the wrong notes. Apologies. Let me reset my brain here. I'm going to just get rid of those. And, you know, and I, I use this as an example <laughs> of not being fully prepared, not thinking you need to prepare because you speak all the time and whatever. And I do this all the time. It's no big deal. No. So I was, I was transparent and I got rid of the notes. I kind of reset my brain and I continued on and I just did the whole training, you know, without notes, because I don't really need the notes. I just bring them like my security blanket. <laughs> but that was a moment of being real for me. And I've had people come up to me after presentations. And because I was honest about something I messed up on or only thing, you know, I, I always tell my clients, look, if nobody can tell that you messed up or you forgot something, don't tell them you know, don't, you don't have to tell them. In this case, I was really thrown off and I had to kind of stop and reset. Mm -hmm. But in the, when I do things that are clearly, you know, uh, mistaken or messed up or I do something, I'm open about it and transparent about it. And I've had people come up to me after presentations and say, you know what, I, after seeing you and seeing how you manage a mishap and see how something went wrong and how you managed it, I feel like I can do this now. Because making mistake isn't the end of the world. And so many, so many people who speak, again, are so worried about being perfect. And I tell people, I model the flawed speaker every time I get on stage. <laughs> I'm really good at modeling the flawed speaker, the speaker who handles the mishap and keeps going. That's me. <laughs> so that's, those are some examples of how, for me, I'm able to kind of model what I teach because I mess up like other people. Mm -hmm. And, but I don't panic about it. I just roll right through it. I make some humor and I just keep going. I love that. And so it sounds like when you're on stage, you're able to roll with just being in the moment and owning mm -hmm. it. How do you ditch perfection when you're in the preparation and planning phase of the speech? 
That is such a great question because yes, you, you know, we, if we can ditch perfection while we're on stage, because we have no choice, right? Once you're in front of your audience, you don't have a choice. If something, if you mess up, you just mess up. That's life. In the preparation part, we can really get caught up in trying to make everything perfect and trying to trying to make sure there are no mistakes. So for me, this is something that something else that that I, I like to do is I like to use the Clifton Strengths assessment with my clients. It used to be called Strengths Finder, now it's called Clifton Strengths. I did some training in this and I use it on myself and I use it on my clients. And so I am naturally part activator and part maximizer. Activator means I just go. I just jump in. I leap without looking. It's not always a good thing, but it's also a good thing because I don't, I don't weigh pros and cons all day long. I just do stuff. The maximizer is my perfectionist. So for me, when I'm preparing, I let these two parts of myself kind of balance. So the perfectionist is going, this has to be really excellent. And I really believe in really, really good preparation. So I, I adjust and, and, um, tweak everything for each, each new audience. I'm really careful in making sure that I understand them and their industry and using appropriate images and all that. I mean, I really want things to be excellent. At the same time, my activator does not want me to, you know, I don't have like scripts. I don't have things memorized. My activator says, go with the flow. Oh, I also have my number five strength is adaptability. So I'm also, it's adapting and changing is very easy for me. So I like to go in with my sort of basic structure. And I know, of course, I've been, you know, a lot of these presentations I've been doing for a long time, but I also like to, you know, I also bring new ones out. But I like to go in and sort of know what my structure is know what my beginning, middle, and end is. Of course, under, have, a, have a deep understanding of my core points and concepts and messages. But I'm very flexible with where the audience wants to go. This is how I ditch perfection in my preparation. And that is, I don't prepare every detail of every single thing that's going to happen. I have an idea of how I want it to go. And maybe this comes with experience. Maybe this isn't a good you know, this is, maybe this isn't a good tip for new speakers. However, I really think it's important to leave room for spontaneity. And so have the basic structure and, and what I know, you know, the direction I know I'm going to go, the path I'm going to lead my audience down, the journey I'm going to take them on, but leave room for flexibility and spontaneity in the middle. And that works really well for me. My audience is appreciated because I don't come across as robotic or rigid or overly rehearsed. I can't stand an overly rehearsed stagey speaker and that will never be me. So that's probably the, the, the balancing act for me is, you know, balancing the perfectionism because I do have that with the reality of every audience is different. You can't know what's going to happen. You, all you can do is be, be flexible and be ready to adapt in the moment. My answers are really long. I'm so sorry. I'm just so, I'm so wordy. No, you do you. 
<laughs> I'm a speaker. What can I say? I like to speak. <laughs> no, you're making a lot of sense. And these are really important concepts for, for listeners to hear and to understand. There's no one way to do this. And it's right. about accessing your own strengths and being mm-hmm. able to understand how you work best so that you can get the best product. And that doesn't mean being perfect. Exactly. So. I think you're really, you're really good at articulating my ideas in a much more concise way. (laughs) My hosting abilities. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really interested in learning more about some of the things that you work on with your clients. What are the key things that they come to you for and what are you most known for? Is it that creating connection piece or is there something else that you love working on? My clients, as I said, don't come to me because they fear speaking. So there's this big misconception when I tell people I'm a coach a lot of the time, they go, oh, I love speaking. I, I don't need any help with speaking. <laughs> you know, if, you, if only the people listening could see my face, the way my eyes are popping out of my head. So <laughs> really what, what I find that a lot of, even people who love speaking and who've been doing it for a really long time, they get really caught up in themselves. And so I think what I am really good at with my clients is helping them see how they can best serve the audience and create a great experience for the audience. And how we do that is really through, I would say, the basic structure of a presentation, the opening, the body, and the closing. But a lot of things they've never thought about, for example, how will I open this in a way that gets them kind of engaged with me and gets them thinking about how this applies to them, right? So kicking it off right off the bat with something fun and gets them sort of on this roll of feeling like they're like they're in a partnership with the audience. Maybe this is how I should put it. Because I find that my clients and a lot of speakers don't understand that there's a partnership between you and the audience. And this comes from my training background. This is really, you know, this comes from back in the day when I was in grad school doing things, learning about things like group dynamics. It's a partnership with your audience. It's not a one-way lecture where I stand up here and I pour knowledge into an empty vessel. This is about us working together, me learning from you. The more I learn from you, the better speaker I can be. The better I can serve you, the more I learn from you. Also, you as audience members can learn from each other. I don't have to be the expert in the front of the room who knows everything. So I think this is probably what I'm best at, helping my clients understand how best they can serve their audience and create a great experience for their audience through the structure of the presentation. So structuring it in a way that takes their audience on a journey that gets them from point A to point B. And then how to do that in a really engaging way and all of the ways that you can engage your audiences with, you know, things like just asking them questions, telling stories, which we all, we all know these basic things, ask questions, tell stories, have them share experiences with each other, you know, doing activities. I have, I have a whole workshop just on a workshop for speakers, just on creating your own activities and exercises because so many speakers don't know how to do this. And I don't know how many of your 
listeners are in NSA, the National Speakers Organization, but I see this in NSA groups all the time. People come in and they post in the group, does anybody have an exercise about this concept? And it drives me crazy. People, create your own exercises, exercises that are based on your own intellectual property. Yeah. Don't go copy what everyone else is doing. So these are kind of, these are kind of my strengths in working with my clients and helping them really really enjoy their speaking engagements. And then they walk away and they, they message me and they say, this was so much fun. I can't wait to do it again. That is really success in my mind. I had a great time. I can't wait to do it again. You know, that, that's a win for me. And of course, my clients are, are mostly not professional speakers, although I do work with some who are professional speakers. Most of my clients are entrepreneurs who have to speak to promote their businesses in various kinds of venues and business people, professionals who speak at conferences or on panels or are giving a a really, excuse me, a really big important presentation to the board or something like that. So they're not people who are on stage once a week traveling around the country, like, you know, kind of wearing a groove in their airline seat. You know, it's people who, who are, who don't do this all the time and really need some, some extra support. Mm -hmm. I think putting together exercises is one of the most fun things about being a speaker. And I love putting the content together and then asking myself, how can I now make this more like kindergarten? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And then it's like, I get to be a kid again too. And it's such a gift to be able to show up and throw some crayons on the table and say, we're going to have some fun today. And everyone's like, what? And then, you know, you create that surprise and that fun experience. When I put toys on the table, I put, I put Play-Doh, I put Slinkies. Actually, for me, a lot of the toys and uh, the, the toys and things that I put out are more to help people access their own creativity. Some people just need to do something with their hands yeah. in order to help them listen and, and process but yeah, when I put things out on the table, and of course, this, this is only possible when you're doing a half day to a full day or something of training. It's really hard to do this in like an hour long thing, which is where I rarely do those anymore. I rarely do an hour long kind of a session. It's not as much fun for me, and I don't think the audience gets as much out of it. Yeah. But when I start putting stuff out on the table, everybody's eyes get really big. Oh, what's this? What's this all about? And then, so because I do, I do corporate training... I will often do a day and a half of training where only about four hours of it is content and the whole rest of the first day and, the, and then the second day is all practice where they're practicing their presentations live. And I've had people take the pipe cleaners and take the Play-Doh and actually use it as props. They'll make little things. They'll make little props and use the props in their three-minute talk. Mm. It's so great. Yeah. So exactly. I like how you say that. How can I make this like kindergarten? And that doesn't mean, and another misconception is that by engaging your audiences, doing fun things like this, you're dumbing down information. And, and I just wrote a blog post on this, the difference between simplifying and dumbing down. It's two different things. We are simplifying our content so that anybody can grasp it and understand it very quickly and then go apply it. That's the whole point for doing what we do. It's not making it dumb. 
No, not at all. Yeah. The simpler, the better. Cause you've only got a yeah. day or four hours. So it's like, you're, you're, you don't want to spend an hour trying to describe the exercise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And sometimes the thing is the better you get at creating your own exercises and activities, the faster you can create them on the fly. I, and I've done this in, in my three day retreat. The, the last one I did was last year. I, the night before the last day, I had this exercise that I had them do at the end of the retreat. And the night before I was lying in bed thinking, you know what? I don't want to do that. I have this other idea. I want to do something else. And I just came up with a whole other idea to have them do on the last day as a way to uh, draw out on, you know, I gave them markers and flip chart paper to draw out their journey from before the retreat to the end of the retreat. And when you're not used to doing this yourself, you, you can really get stuck in a, in a rut of just doing the same things over and over or going online and find, you know, I, I mean, if one more person, if I hear one more person putting like rocks and pebbles and sand into a <laughs> jar, yeah. you know, or what, like these, these old, old overused kinds of, nobody will ever accuse me <laughs> of using stories or activities that they have ever heard before or used before because it is all my unique creation. And that's where I think we all need to be coming from as speakers. Yeah, absolutely. Because those games are your intellectual property too. And they're part of your brand and they're part of the experience. I love that this episode went in this direction because it's really important that we give permission to other speakers who haven't been doing it as long to explore their creativity and to have fun Mm -hmm. with the presentation and to not be afraid of doing things that are a little bit different than the PowerPoint presentation with 50 bullet points, you know, it's like, we got to get away from that and yeah, bring our own creativity. So I love that we talked about this today and I'm sure there's so much more for you that, 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 that you could be sharing with my audience. So how can we find out more information about you? Where can we follow you and find you? There are a couple of places to find me. I pretty much on all social media, I'm coach Lisa B. So I'm coach Lisa B on Instagram Coach Lisa B is my Facebook page, although I'll be honest, my personal Facebook profile is much more active and much more fun. And that's just Lisa Braithwaite. Twitter, I'm Lisa Braithwaite. So you can always find me under Lisa Braithwaite or Coach Lisa B everywhere. And then my website is coachlisab.com. My, you can learn, learn about my book at presentingforhumans.com, presentingforhumans.com. And then I also have a blog called Speak Schmeek. So you know how to spell speak. Schmeek is S-C-H-M-E-A-K. So speakschmeek.com is my blog. So you'll find me all over. I'm all over the place, baby. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. This was a lot of fun. And I, I'm just excited that we got to have this conversation. I think there's so much here for me too. To, to learn from. Thank you.
There you have it. Today's guest mentor interview. Check out the show notes for links mentioned in this episode. If you're enjoying the series, please send a message to my guests to let them know and leave a review on iTunes to help more women find the show. The guest mentors five-part summer series is sponsored by Speaking School for Women, my signature online course that teaches you how to become a paid professional speaker in six weeks or less. Learn branding, marketing, speechcraft, pricing, pitching, and so much more. Now until August 31st, get 20% off using promo code SUMMER20 at checkout. Learn more at speakersisterhood.thinkific.com. Link is in the show notes. This series is also sponsored by Told Video, original, thoughtful storytelling for your brand. Here to help you with your next step in speaker marketing, a meaningful video. Let your story out into the world and get it told. Follow Told Video on Instagram at Told Video for flash sales and discounts announced monthly. This podcast has been a production of the Speaker Sisterhood and was recorded at the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Learn more at speakersisterhood.com. Well, that does it for me, my friends. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.